The title of the message this morning is Leaving Worry Behind, and we're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, starting in verse 25. With all of the change that has been part of the past week or 10 days coming at us in a a concentrated period of time, I think it's easy for us to have forgotten that we are in a critical season In the church calendar. Today actually marks the fourth week, the fourth Sunday of Lent. And Lent is that part of the church's year where we remember the testing of Jesus. First, Jesus was tested for 40 days in the wilderness, but then ongoing, Jesus was tested, and in particular, tested as he set his face toward Jerusalem and toward the cross that he knew was waiting for him there. In order for Jesus to walk those roads faithfully, to endure those tests faithfully, I think Jesus also learned to travel lightly. So many of the the burdens, the things that you and I are tempted to carry with us through life, Jesus was was clear, he was intentional in leaving those things behind in order to persevere in obedience. A few weeks ago, when we were last together, I gave many of you stones that looked like this, and I asked you to put the cross of Jesus on one side and on the other side to, to make a symbol or a mark that represented something that was heavy in your life, something you felt like you were carrying with you through this season. As we walk through Lent, this time of testing together, and all of the the circumstances that are now part of our lives that, that none of us probably imagined two weeks ago when we took these stones home, I wonder how many of us are carrying new worries and new anxieties with us. If that's where you find yourselves today, that I want to share with you from Matthew 6. I want us to hear what Jesus invites us to do with that worry. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that your word has life, it has power, not just to give us information or knowledge, but actually to transform who we are, to give us strength to obey, Lord, to give us hope in in a fresh way this morning. Pray as we hear your word to us. May the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of every heart who hears these words be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. As you're opening to Matthew 6, 25, let me remind you how two weeks ago we, we started this Lenten reflection with Luke 4. And we looked at a time when the Spirit of God led Jesus into the Judean wilderness, where Jesus was tested by enduring 40 days with nothing to eat. We were told that Jesus became hungry And that during that time of scarcity, the devil chose to come close to Jesus and to test him. 
He said to him, Jesus, if you're the son of God, why don't you do something about your hunger? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? But Jesus resisted that temptation, not just to to make a meal for himself there, but, but Jesus resisted the temptation to be anxious to fix, to resolve his own circumstances. And instead, he said to the devil that the word of God was his food. Right? Man does not live by bread alone. In today's passage, Jesus redirects our focus again to the one who faithfully supplies all that we need, including our daily bread, both in times of plenty and also in seasons of scarcity. Let me read Matthew 6, verse 25, all the way down through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, even you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For it's the pagans that run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. At the start of this past week, it was either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, I went to make some bread for the family, and I opened up this this large bin that sits in our kitchen with flour, and I noticed that it it was starting to get low. So I thought, no problem, I'll go down to the pantry in the basement and bring up one of those 20-pound bags of King Arthur flour to refill it. But as I went back down to the pantry, I found we had run out. So I decided the next day I would swing by Costco to replenish our stock, only to find that the pallets at Costco were also empty. I thought, well, at least there's always Amazon, maybe I'll pay a little more, but I'm sure something can be shipped here in the next couple days, only to discover that Amazon was sold out too. Everyone, all the online retailers were back-ordered. 
Apparently, flour is one of those commodities like Clorox wipes, toilet paper, and a dozen other essential things that have become difficult to locate. And for the, the first time I could remember in 39 years of life, I found myself anxious about my daily bread. Where was I going to find it? However, on Tuesday morning, I came into the church and I I walked over to the country store across the street here to grab the mail from our P.O. box. When I spotted on the the back shelf there of the store, kind of hidden away, a few bags of flour left sitting on the shelf. And my first instinct was, was to go over and to take all of them off the shelf and I thought, maybe, maybe I should even talk to the manager and see if there's some resources in the back, you know, some, some stock that I could load up on and fill my pantry at home. The problem, though, was that I had literally just come from the church office where I was working on this particular sermon. And I could still hear Jesus' words in my head saying, do not worry about what you will eat. The pagans run after these things, Dave. But your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Is not life more than food? So after a few seconds of inner turmoil and and hesitation, I decided to take two small bags of flour off the shelf and leave the rest behind for somebody else. Now I know I, I could have loaded my pantry for a few additional weeks, maybe even a month. But there was something inside of me that also knew that if I, if I chose to do that, I would be feeding my inner anxiety rather than resolving it. Anxiety is deceptive in that way, right? The more attention we give our anxiety, the more it requires from us. This morning, we could all think of many things to be anxious about. The question is, what do we do with our needs? What do we do with the uncertainties? What do we do with that creeping sense of dread that that kind of settles into our bones? While we're reorienting our lives in this pandemic and all the places it, it tempts our minds and imaginations to race off to, I want to take seriously the commands Jesus gives us here. I don't want to just think abstractly about them or or make them into platitudes. I want to start putting them into practice when I go to the grocery store or when I check the news headlines or when we see what's happening to our retirement plans. We need to be feeding on Jesus' words here. First, then, I want to take seriously what Jesus commands us not to do. There's a a series of commands in this passage, but, but in three places, Jesus tells us what not to do. Quite simply, he says, do not worry. It appears in verse 25, in verse 31, and then again in verse 34. And Jesus spells out all the sorts of of things we could worry and be anxious about. Food and fashion and our future. He says, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or wear. 
and do not worry about tomorrow. Jesus tells us not to worry, and he says that that we're meant not to worry, partly because worry is essentially an exercise in futility. Verse 27, Jesus offers a test there. He says, "If, if you're tempted to worry, ask yourself this, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? If you take a minute to to actually give yourself that test. You know, I I could tell you about many nights of sleep I've lost to worry. I could name a number of good things that worry or anxiety has distracted me from. But I can't locate any place where worry has added to my life. In fact, modern medicine would suggest that prolonged anxiety actually reduces life expectancy. Worry does not give life, then. Worry steals it from us. But worse than just the futility of anxiety, when we worry, we are, at least at some level, choosing to ignore God's faithful love. Worry communicates this fear within us that that we're being neglected by our Heavenly Father, that we have been forgotten. And as Jesus says here in verse 32, it's the pagans, those, those who do not know, those who are without relationship to the living God. The pagans, they run, they scurry, they, they chase after food and drink and clothing. And they do so because they assume that their well-being depends upon that kind of anxious behavior. Right? They, they have nowhere else to turn, no other security. In their worry, they are choosing to play God's part for him. But Jesus says you and I are to be different because we have a father who knows what we need. Jesus says elsewhere, a father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. Jesus is clear then that we are not meant to worry. We're not created to worry. Worry is not ours to carry through life. The question is, how do you stop worrying? If if you're prone to worry or anxiety like I can be, you can't just throw a switch and, and make it dissipate. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just tell us not to worry, but he actually gives two additional commands in this passage that are proactive. He gives us things that as we begin to do them and live them and practice them, they displace, they push back anxiety. The first proactive command is found in verses 26 through 30. And it's a command Jesus gives to our eyes, to our attention. Jesus commands us to look at the birds of the air and to see how the flowers of the field grow. Jesus says, pay attention to the the extravagant ways our God is working in creation. Train your eyes to notice the evidences of his faithfulness 
that are there day in and day out. Notice all the the little ways that God has sustained and cared for, for your life and the life around you that we have just simply taken for granted. Ten years ago, I had the chance to hear uh, the artist and theologian Mako Fujimura preach in a, in a chapel out in Vancouver. And he preached on this particular set of verses. And his talk that morning was entitled, The Antidote to Worry, right, which suggests that, that worry is, is kind of like a poison that, that gets into us and, and circulates through us. And we need an, an antidote. to to treat, to undo its harmful effects. Fujimura says that the antidote to worry, the way we leave worry behind, is learning to see our world as Jesus sees it. Citing these verses, Fujimura said, this exercise, this command of Jesus... In, in botany and ornithology, in the, the study of the, 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 the plants of the field and the birds of the air. He says it actually has less to do with, with understanding the birds and the flowers and, and more as we look at them to understand ourselves and our world through Jesus' gaze. We're meant to discover the numerous examples of God's extravagant beauty and love that are right before our eyes. Right, this morning, God is feeding the birds outside your window. He's starting to clothe our spring flowers. He even gave me a couple bags of flour at the country store earlier this week. And God continues to take care of us, and even though, yes, there, there are viruses and there are economic upheavals, and things that that are far beyond our comprehension to understand or to know why or how they are happening. Notwithstanding those things, God has not stopped looking after even the smallest parts of his creation today. God has not stopped seeing you. And so Jesus invites us in return to see the handiwork God. Let me challenge you today to, to, to turn off your phone or your screen, and put aside the newspaper for a while, and do something to make an effort to notice the beauty, the, the goodness of God, your Father. Take, take a walk outside if you're able, or, or study a beautiful piece of artwork that someone has created. Or enjoy the company and presence of someone who's there with you. A second antidote to worry is also given at the end of this passage in verse 33. Not only does Jesus command us to see, but he goes on to command us to seek. He says to leave our worry, our anxiety behind us, we need to seek something greater, to to move toward something else. And that something is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Disciples of Jesus then are invited 
Not, not to give all of their energy and attention to the things that worry, the things that consume us, but instead to give away our thoughts and our energy and our resources toward the mission of God's kingdom before us. As we do that, Jesus, in one sense, knows that that releases us from the trap of anxiety. It frees us from that, that overly self-concerned posture. But Jesus also goes on to say that, that as we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it also sets the power of God free to supply the things that we're worried about. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As commentator Dale Bruner puts it, Our Heavenly Father has a delivery service that brings to us those things that the world spends its whole time shopping for. He knows what we need and he supplies it to us as needed. Right now we are all discerning how to stay safe, how to secure the needs that our families have. We're trying to prepare for whatever tomorrow might bring But I have been amazed at how many of you have also called me or emailed the church to ask how you can help, what you could do for someone else. What does my family need or what does the church need or are there people who need groceries picked up? Can we help if someone's paycheck stops this week or next? In fact, as I mentioned earlier, Dom Corvu is, is trying to compile all of these offers for help into a database so that we can respond as needs become apparent. So there, there's a way that at this time where our culture is experiencing unparalleled anxiety, that we could instead be counter-cultural. We could be a kingdom-seeking community, a community that is desiring to move outward and mission. It's part of this antidote to our worry. If you're wondering what you could do today, a a really simple way to, to put this into practice would be simply to think of one or two people that you know might be alone or might be anxious or worried today, and to simply just call them on the phone this afternoon. Spend 10 or 15 minutes talking and sharing the gift of conversation and maybe also consider offering to pray with them. That's one way that you can can reach out and be kingdom-minded. So to leave worry behind, Jesus says we need to be a people who can see and a people who can seek the presence of Jesus. That's a presence that is here now with us in the present but, but that sense of, of who Jesus is in the kingdom that he desires to bring is, is one that's still future, one that, that still is, is awaiting us in its fullness. And I think we also need a vision of that which is eternal, right? to draw future hope into our present moment. So I want to give you one last image to consider It's actually from the the painter I mentioned a few minutes ago, Mako Fujimura. 
And if you are able, uh, I, I can't produce it here because it's copyrighted, but there will be a link on the website this morning, and you could follow the link and, and see the image in quite high resolution. I encourage you to do that after you finish listening. The title of the painting is Consider the Lilies. Fujimura is a, a master of the Japanese art form known as Nihonga. And Nihonga uses uh, typically crushed pigments and minerals in there. They're layered on the canvas to create these, these rich, kind of complex colors and hues. And if you go and look at the painting, if you take the time to consider the lilies that Fujimura has painted, you'll see that you can sort of make out the shape of the flowers there. But there's also a sense that, that what you see is kind of obscured. Fujimura said there's something funky going on with his lilies. And he said that when he painted these lilies, he wanted to imagine them, to paint them in their post-resurrection reality. He wanted to, to see what they would look like when heaven invades earth and everything gets transformed. And so as he painted, he said he imagined these lilies sitting on an altar at the front of a church where there was a wedding feast. Feast between Christ the bridegroom and his bride, the church. And these, these beauties offer and add, these beauties, these lilies offer and add their beauty to that moment. A moment when every tear will be wiped from our eyes. A moment Revelation says, when mourning and death will be no longer present. May God's Spirit help us to see that reality today as a certain promise. As you worship from home this morning, may Jesus liberate you from the grip, the heaviness, the weight of worry. May he give you eyes to see, and hands and feet to seek his kingdom. And all the rest will be added to you. Amen.